Right. Oh, Holy Spirit, come open up our hearts, our minds, to hear the truth of your word. May it protect us when we need it. May it guide us through the storm. Speak, O Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Well, today we are concluding our sermon series on the book of Ephesians called New Life in Christ. And Paul has been painting this glorious picture of salvation that we're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. But then in this last chapter, he's going to help us realize that this new life in Christ, this isn't vacation mode. It's not new life in Christ is not going to be on the beach, hanging out. No, life in Christ is going to be a war. If you are are a Christian or a follower of Jesus, you will be opposed. You will be attacked by the enemy of God. And every Christian is a soldier in this war. And if we are not prepared for the attacks that will come, the consequences can be severe. Destruction and brokenness in our lives, in our marriages, our families, our church, in our world. We need to be prepared. You know, many sports teams, they, will, they have whole departments dedicated to scouting out the opposition, right? They look at, they dissect hours of film to see what are the strategies of the, the opponent? What are their tendencies? How can, and then how can we come up with a counterattack, a counterstrategy? So my, if you need a different analogy than war, think about this in sports terms. In this whole sermon today, I, I'm viewing this as my scouting report for you guys. I spent a lot of time this week and other times studying this word so that I can give you a scouting report on our enemy and that we might come up with a counter strategy. So how do we get prepared? How do we get prepared for this fight? I'm just going to dive right in. There's going to be a, a lot of content today. All right, I'm going to warn you. You need to buckle up and be ready. All right, if you take notes, you're going to want to write smaller because there's a lot. There, there's a lot. And if you're, if you're new with us this morning, you're visiting, this isn't how I normally preach, but I'm, I'm going to give you a lot today because we need it. All right? So number one, what do we need to do? We need to know, you need to know your enemy. In war, you have to know your opponent. In sports, the same thing, as I just said. And the same is true in the Christian life. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2.11, he says, we are not unaware of the devil's schemes. We're not unaware. In other words, we realize. We know what he's doing. So that's why he says in Ephesians 6, and if you want to turn your Bibles, you can follow along with me. We're in Ephesians 6. In verse 11, Paul says, put on the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, this word schemes in the Greek is the Greek term methodia. It's where we get our English word methods. In other words, Satan has methods. He has strategies. He has tricks up his sleeve. He is very cunning. And he is planning ways to take down other people, ways to sow destruction in our lives. Literally, there is a method to his madness. There is a method to Satan's madness. And this suggests to us that there is, there is somehow a, a mind at work, right? I mean, if you're strategizing, if you're planning, there is some type of force that is planning. So this means that Satan is not just symbolic of evil. He's not just a symbol of evil in the world. He's not just some force. No, there, Jesus said there is, there is a thief. There is a thief, a real thief who will steal, kill, and destroy. And he's planning, strategizing. How to do that. How to sow seeds of sin and brokenness into our lives. And he has many strategies. And baseline, before I'm going to touch on some of these strategies, but baseline, what you need to understand is that everything that Satan does is based on lies. It's based on deception. Jesus said he's a liar. He's the father of lies. 
Lying is his native language. That is what he does. That is what he will do in your life. He will lie and deceive. And the, the reality of deception is you often don't see it coming. You're deceived. You don't see it. It's tricky. It's crafty. So you have to watch out. You have to be aware of these strategies. So let me talk about a few. So if you're taking notes, you know, number one, this is letter A. All right, here's a strategy of Satan. Satan casts doubt on God's word. He casts doubt on God's word. We'll give you a few examples from Scripture throughout these different strategies. But if you think back to the Garden of Eden, and there's Satan is depicted as a, as a snake, and he says to Eve, did God really say? Did God really say? And then he actually twists some of the things that God says, and he's beginning to call into question what God said to Eve and Adam. And he begins to plant the seeds of doubt that God can't be trusted, that God may not be good after all, that maybe his word isn't correct. And the reality is we can read the word, we can know the word, we can study the word, we can grow up in the church, but Satan can still come to, come to us and say, did God really say that? Did God, did, I, did God really get it right? Are you sure? And the reality is, you know, we all have things that we're wrestling with and, and things that we struggle with and, and doubts that we have, and, that, and that's okay. That's part of the Christian journey. But faith is a trust in God and takes him at his word and wrestles through those doubts. And we take God at his word. We know his word and we believe it and we trust in all of his promises and his commands that he's given to us in Scripture. Because Satan's going to cast doubt on it. Second thing that Satan will do is he's going to deny that sin has consequences. You know, he says, to Adam, he says to Eve, you will not certainly die when you eat this fruit. And that was a lie. That was a lie. Although in God's mercy, the second that they took that fruit that they weren't supposed to, they didn't die that second. But certainly they were cut off from the presence of life itself. And eventually they, they died spiritually, and eventually they did die. So Satan lied to him. He said, you will not certainly die, and they did. Satan lied about sin's consequences. And Satan loves to get us to think that there won't be any consequences to our actions. Ah, don't worry about eternity. You're not going to die. You'll live forever. No one will ever know. No one will ever notice. It'll just be this once. It's not going to harm anybody. It's not going to harm yourself. Oh, beloved, sin is destructive. Sin is chaos. The wages of sin is death. and Without salvation, we will die. And even when we are saved, we need to take into account that, that sin will reap destruction in our lives, in our families, in our relationships, and God will take into account all that we have done, good and bad. So that's what Satan will do. He will deny this. Third, third thing that Satan will do is he will distort the word of God. He will distort the word of God. There's a story about Jesus and Satan in the Gospels. Right after Jesus is baptized, uh, Jesus goes into the wilderness, and he's tempted by Satan. And the devil takes him uh, to the holy city and has him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he says to Jesus, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. And then Satan quotes scripture. He says, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. I don't know about you, but it worries me a little bit that Satan could quote scripture. Satan knows the Bible. I, I bet that he knows the whole Bible from front to back. And he can take one piece of Scripture and he can twist it and distort it in such a way that he leads people into all kinds of errors and false teaching. And many people get caught in this trap today. They look at one Scripture verse. They isolate it from the whole story of God and they get led into error. I mean, entire cults have been started because of this. They look at one verse and it, they, it gets distorted and the truth is not seen because we're not taking in the whole Scriptures, the whole counsel of God. So what does Jesus do? He quotes scripture right back. Jesus demonstrates to us 
the great principle of biblical interpretation, that you have to let Scripture interpret Scripture. Scripture is the best interpreter of itself. And so when you find yourself confused, when you find yourself in certain situations, look at the whole counsel of God. Don't just look at one portion of Scripture. You have to know the whole Word of God and how it fits into the big story God has been writing. There are a lot of distortions out there in the world. People who are twisting Scripture to say whatever they want Scripture to say. You can get the Bible to say whatever you want it to say. But you have to look at the whole counsel of God. And, not, and we have to be careful not to fall into this trap that Satan will set for you. Another thing that Satan will do is he will tempt you with power and wealth. The devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. In other words, he tempts Jesus with the wealth and splendor of the world and the power that he would have. In other words, Paul says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Satan will tempt us to pursue money above God. He will tempt us with self-gratification, with consumerism, with power, with prestige. Essentially, he will tempt us to live for self rather than God. I like how Grant Osborne sums this up. He says, Satan's weapons are well known, and he specializes in tempting people through worldly enticements, fleshly pleasures, and material luxuries to forget God and live for self. This is one of Satan's strategies. Be aware. Another thing that Satan will do is, I believe he will take advantage of us when we are vulnerable. He takes advantage of our vulnerabilities. In the counseling world, uh, the way that they've helped people struggling with addictions, they've come up with this this acronym called HALT. Perhaps some of you have heard of it. Uh, And it's the idea that you need to take a HALT when you're experiencing any of these things. And here's what they are. You're hungry, if you're angry, if you're lonely, or if you're tired. Now, if you're hungry and you're angry, I call that hangry. And when you are hangry, you better watch out. (laughs) Some of the worst decisions get made when you're hangry. At least I know that for me. But, I mean, this is a little bit surmising from Scripture, but look what happened to Jesus when he was in the wilderness. He'd been fasting for 40 days. He was hungry. He was all alone out there, and I'm certain he was tired from not not eating for 40 days and from sleeping outside. Jesus came to him when he was vulnerable. So honestly, part of spiritual warfare is making sure you're taking care of yourself, that you're providing your body what it needs, that you're eating healthy, that you're processing your anger, maybe that's through journaling or with friends, and you're surrounding yourself with people so that you're not lonely and isolated, and that you're getting adequate sleep so that Satan doesn't take advantage. Finally, last one. Satan seeks to divide. He will seek to divide. Now we're coming back to the book of Ephesians. Earlier on in this letter, in chapter 4, Paul said, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. So Paul says, don't sin when you're angry. How do you not sin when you're angry? You not sin by you not letting it fester, by not letting it build up. When you, do, when you don't deal with the anger that you have to your brothers and sisters, when you let it fester, when you let it boil up, when you just, just steam on how, oh, oh man, they were so wrong, they, they, they so wronged me. When you allow yourself to go to that area, you have given the devil an opportunity to take advantage and to sow seeds of dissension and bitterness and unforgiveness in your life. And so Paul says, don't let the sun go down while you're angry. Deal with that anger. Deal with that that reconciliation that needs to happen because Satan will take advantage of it. So reconciliation and forgiveness, these aren't things that we're just commanded to do that we're supposed to do in the church. They're weapons of spiritual warfare to make sure that Satan doesn't divide us because he will seek to sow dissension in the body of Christ. And if he can separate us from each other, 
we're easier to pick off. If he's going to separate us, we're going to be easier to pick off. So we have to watch out and practice forgiveness, radical forgiveness, radical reconciliation in the church. Okay, now you know your enemy. You know some of the things. This isn't everything. You could spend a whole sermon series on Satan's strategies. But now that you know some of the things that he will do, how can we be protected against such strategic, methodical assaults? What can we do? We're number, we're, here's what we're going to do. We're gonna, number two, we're going to stand strong in God's armor. We're going to stand strong in God's armor. Put on the full armor of God so that you can what? So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Given what you just heard, given the power of our enemy, it would be absolutely insane not to put on any armor. It would be insane not to do anything, to leave this sermon and not be changed because we need to put on the armor of God. And Paul says the full armor. Now we're about to go into the different pieces of the armor, but you need to understand that, that half the armor will not do. I mean, imagine, imagine a knight going to the front lines and not having the breastplate on. That would be ludicrous. Get back and put your armor on. You're, you're going to get pierced. No, no, you need the whole armor of God. We need the full thing so that what? So that we can take our stand. And you're going to see this word stand repeated throughout this passage. Paul keeps repeating, stand firm, stand strong. And standing, it's not simply something passive. It's actually you need to be active to stand strong. It's actively participating in the spiritual victory in our lives. So it's active. Now follow along with me here. Let's, let's look at the text a little bit more. Verse 12. It's going to read through this a little bit. Paul says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Let me pause there. Our enemies, in other words, are not other human beings. Our enemies are not people. And as much as the climate of our world today, as much as the news, as much as other stuff would seek to divide people from each other and say, well, this group needs to hate that group or, or this nation is our enemy or this people is our enemy. No, no other human being is your enemy. People are, are those for whom Christ died. They are beloved of God. So no other human being is our enemy. They are people worth fighting for. No, the enemy is not human beings. No, the enemy is what? Against the rulers? against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, I have no idea what Paul is talking about. What are all these different terms? We don't really know. But the reality is he is saying, he is describing the, the dark forces of evil in the world, that we really have spiritual enemies and that they are strong. So this is why he says in verse 13, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand, to be standing. Stand your ground, stand firm. How are you going to do it? By putting on the full armor of God. Paul, and I remind you, Paul is writing this letter from prison, likely chained to another Roman soldier, so he can see the armor that they're wearing. And he's drawing some inspiration from this image in his mind, and he begins to describe different parts of the armor. So let's dive into it. All right, under number two, letter A, Belt of truth. We need to put on the belt of truth. He continues in verse 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Hold on a second. Why are we putting on a belt first? Anybody wake up in the morning, put their belt on first? If you're doing that, we need to talk. <laughs> so, so, something, something is clearly wrong. Your style is totally off. No, no, you don't put a belt on first. The belt was put on last. But Paul puts it first because it is so foundational to everything else he's going to say. If you don't have the belt of truth on, it's not going to hold anything else together. 
Why do you think we need the belt of truth first? Because our enemy is the liar. Our enemy is the liar. He is the great deceiver. So, of course, the, for, the first and foremost thing that we need is truth. And when we believe lies about ourselves, lies about God, lies about God's word, lies about the world, lies about other people, it will bring confusion, chaos, worry, anxiety, and stress, and all kinds of problems into our lives. Oh, we need the truth. We need the truth. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my, dis my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You guys see this? Satan wants to imprison you with lies. Jesus wants to set you free with the truth. That's how it works. Jesus sets us free. You know, in our culture, it's getting so much harder to discern the truth, to believe the truth, to proclaim the truth. You know, we want there to be multiple truths. You know, we hear things like, well, your truth and my truth and her truth and his truth and all, all kinds of stuff going on. And certainly, we can have different perspectives on very difficult issues. But friends, if we have lost the ability to discern the truth, if we have lost the ability to live according to the truth, oh, then we have lost a great battle. The enemy has gotten one on us because we need to know the truth if we're going to be set free. We need the truth. And Christianity proclaims, among many other things, that it is true. It's true. Jesus is really Lord. The Bible is really the Word of God. The resurrection really happened. You can really have new life in Christ. You can really be forgiven and transformed. You can really have a real relationship with the living God. The Holy Spirit actually really dwells inside of you. Friends, someone's better amen me because I'm going to keep going. <laughs> we have so much of amazing promises that we have, and they are all true. And Paul so believed in the truth of the gospel that he is in prison, attached to a Roman soldier, and writing and saying, will you pray for me? so that I can declare this message with all boldness, like I should. Why? Because it is true. It is the truth. Oh, Christians, our faith is true, so put on truth every day. This as in a little side, one thing that I like to do is I have a note on my phone with kind of paraphrases of all my favorite scriptures. And a few times a week, I'll pull that out and I'll just recite that to myself. You know, I, I, live, I live for Christ. I live for Christ alone. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And I proclaim all these truths over myself. I put that belt of truth on so that I can be set in God's ways and God's truth. We need truth in our lives. Belt of truth. Let's be breastplate of righteousness. We need the breastplate of righteousness. For the Roman soldier, this was the metal piece that they wore in the front. Obviously, it is vital. It protects all your vital organs. It protects your lungs. It protects your heart. Uh, all those special things. Paul says we need this breastplate of righteousness. Now, righteousness, uh, really to me, it boils down to being rightly related with God and rightly related with all other people. It's a moral righteousness describing both of those ways, upward with God and outward towards other people. So what we need to do is we need to honor and protect our relationship with God, and we need to be right with all people in our lives. Reconciliation, forgiveness, truth, justice, doing all these things, doing right by other people. So we, we wake up in the morning, we go to bed at night, rightly related with God and rightly related with others. We've got to protect those relationships. We need that breastplate, that armor on, and sit, so Satan won't take advantage. Another thing we need is, I, I see, is I am calling this the marching boots because Paul has a way too long of a phrase to put into a point. He says, with your, with, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel, gospel of peace. 
Now, the Roman boots that they wore, they were, they were made of leather, and the big point about them is they had big studs or kind of spikes on the bottom. And this enabled them to, to stand strong, to, to, keep, to hold the line when they needed to. It also made sure that they were able to go on long marches. Because, because sometimes what enemies would do is they would, as they were retreating from the soldiers, they would lay kind of uh, spiky things, you know, sticks and, and stones and all kinds of stuff that you could step on so that if you didn't have good boots or your boots were compromised, you would step on a, a sharp stick and pierce your foot and thereby rendering you unable to keep marching. So you need to make sure that you have good boots on so that you can keep advancing. You need to make sure you have good boots on. So Paul says, fit, make sure your feet are fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, I want you to know the irony of this, of this metaphor, that he's saying, put this armor on, and the armor is about a gospel of peace. You're putting on armor to have, to be, have to, about a gospel of peace. Certainly, these are metaphorical terms. This is not anything, Christianity does not condone violence. At its heart, the gospel is about reconciling people to God and to others and putting us into one body. So it's about peace, peace with God, peace with others. And so he says, have on your feet the readiness, the preparedness to share this good news. Let your feet move you to places and to people who need the love and the peace of Jesus. Be ready at any opportunity that comes your way, that you can just walk in what God is putting right in your path. Have on your feet this readiness. Be prepared. Be on mission for Jesus. Because being on mission for Jesus, that is a protection against Satan's schemes. Now follow me here. Greg Boyd, in a sermon, he said, the safest place to be in spiritual warfare is on the front line. That's the safest place to be, as crazy as that sounds, because the best defense is a good offense. So let your feet be ready to be on the offense, to be on the advance, to share the gospel when it comes, when it comes up, and to do good deeds, to demonstrate the goodness of God by what, you, by what you do. You know, I think people fear being sold out for Jesus because they, get, they think it's going to be too costly. It's going to cost too much of my time. It's going to co co cost me changing something in my life. It's going to cost me something I want to hold on to. But the reality is, friends, it is too costly not to be sold out for Jesus. It's too costly not to be on the front lines because that is how Satan will trick you. He will render you ineffective. He will keep you in lukewarm living as long as he can. He will keep you as comfortable as possible so that you are ineffective for Christ Jesus in advancing his kingdom. So Paul says, have on your feet a readiness, a preparedness. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Use me wherever you send me. I am ready. Here I am, send me. I have on my feet marching boots. I'm ready to advance the cause of Christ wherever I can. That's what we need on, to be protected against Satan's schemes. So if, if you're on the sidelines, if you're in the neutral zone, if you're just in that kind of comfortable, lukewarm, Satan has tricked you. Satan has rendered you ineffective. We need to be sold out because that is the safest place to be. And it's the most fun. It's the most fun. Finally, we also need the shield of faith. Now, finally, there's a few more. We need the shield of faith. Verse 16, Paul continues, In addition to all this already, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, Paul is picturing big Roman shields. Now, we're not, no, we're not talking about the small shield that you, you carry on your arm, and we're not even talking about our broken pulpit size. No, no, no. We are talking about shields that were four feet high, roughly, Two and a half feet wide. These were big shields. And what they would do is uh, they were made of wood, and they were, had leather on the outside, and they were fortified by metal on the top and the bottom. 
And what they would do is they would soak these shields in water because literally flaming arrows were, were, would be shot at them. So they soaked them in water to make sure that they could extinguish the flaming arrows of the enemy. So Paul says we need the shield of faith. What is faith? Oh, we could do a whole sermon on that. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And Hebrews 11 goes on to describe all these Old Testament heroes, and many of you are familiar with this, and it describes what they did because of their faith. It shows their actions, their deeds, and how that reflected their faith, their confidence in God. And so faith is a trusting loyalty to God that is evident in our actions. Believers should be so confident, so assured in what God has promised us that it moves us into action. So that no matter what the enemy throws our way, we're still hanging on to the hope and the faith that we have in him. And the reality is, often the flaming arrows of the evil one are too much for us to handle on our own. They're too much for us. They can, they can be devastating arrows. And so the Roman soldiers, they, the, these shields, they were actually meant to be linked together with other people. And they, they would stand right next to each other, they would link arms, and these shields would form an impenetrable wall. And then the second line would come up, and they would hold the shields above like this, so that the arrows above would not come and penetrate into their line. And so they, when they stood together, they, the Roman soldiers were virtually unbeatable, because they had the shield. And so they would advance against the enemy. In fact, it turned their defense into offense. Because of this wall, they could advance against any line and not be harmed at all. Oh, brothers and sisters, this is what we need in the church. When a brother and sister gets, gets shot with an arrow of the enemy, when something horrible happens in their lives, when they get fall, fallen down in some type of sin, we need to say, you know what, we're in this together. We're in this together. Link, link arms with me, because if we link arms, no arrow of the enemy can penetrate this wall. The unity of the church, the foundation of the church, that is a wall of both defense and offense against the enemy's schemes. And so faith means pressing forward into the lines of the enemy, even when the victory seems impossible, even when the circumstances seem bleak, even when everything is, is opposing us all around, we stand firm in our faith with Jesus by linking arms with our brothers and sisters and clinging on to the faith that God has more and God is strong and God will eventually win. That's what we do. That's the shield of faith. And one day Satan will be defeated and God's kingdom will never end. Hallelujah. We also need the helmet of salvation. Paul says this in verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation on. Now salvation, it's past, it's present, and it's future. And it means that when our salvation helmet is secure, when it's, when it's on, we can know that Satan cannot accuse us about our past. It's all been nailed to the cross. There's not any sin or guilt anymore. There's nothing that Satan can say about your past. And we know that our present is also saved. That there's nothing in your life that can forever get you down because Jesus has won the victory and he has given you deliverance and redemption from all the sin and from all the power of the evil one. So we have salvation in our present and we also know that our future is secure. We know that we will have eternal life with God. We have the hope of, of being with him forever, forever and nothing can separate us from the love of God and Jesus Christ, not even Satan himself. He cannot separate us. So when you have that secure in your life, it will be armor to protect you. Now finally, the last piece of armor Paul mentions is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword that Paul refers to here uh, would be not a long sword that you might think of, but a short sword that a Roman soldier would use in hand-to-hand -hand combat. And Paul says the sword the Christians have is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In other words, 
the Holy Spirit wields the Word of God and infuses the Word of God with power. Now, what was Paul talking about? Now, for Paul, he might have been simply referring only to the gospel message. You know, Romans 1, he says, the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all people. It's, it's, the, it's the message that breaks down barriers everywhere it goes. It's the power of God and salvation. And certainly the gospel word is the, most, is the best word that we can give to anybody else. But I, I think there's a larger sense in which we can take this idea that I don't think uh, the Apostle Paul would argue with me about uh, because the whole Bible is the word of God. The whole Bible is the word of God. All scripture is God-breathed. And I think Jesus himself, he modeled for us how to do this when he defeated the enemy with the word of God. Every time Satan came with a temptation, what did Jesus do? It is written. It is written. It is written. He was wielding the sword of the Spirit. Remember, he was just, he was just uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit at his baptism. And what's the first thing Jesus is doing after he's empowered with the Spirit? He's quoting Scripture. He's winning a spiritual warfare with the Word of God. And we can do the same. So we need the truth of God in our lives so that we can know how to respond to the enemy. And finally, point number three, this is kind of part of the armor, I think, is, is to pray at all times. Verse 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. So the soldier must be alert. We've got to be alert to the enemy's schemes. We've got to watch and pray. We don't want to be like the disciples who were supposed to watch and pray and fell asleep. You know, we're supposed to watch and pray so that temptation, when temptation comes, we're ready. And prayer, I believe, is the primary way we put on this armor. You want to know how to put on the armor of God we just talked about? You've got to pray. Matthew Henry said, prayer must buckle on all the other parts of our Christian armor. We are infused with, with righteousness, with faith, with truth when we pray and put on this armor. So let me, let me recap for us a little bit here. We have a powerful enemy. He will call into question God's character. He will deny that sin has consequences. He will attack our identity and our worth. He will cast doubt on God's word and distort God's word. He will tempt us with power and with wealth. He will seek to divide us, and he will take advantage of us when we are vulnerable. But our God is stronger. Our God is stronger. And he has given us strong armor to stand firm. He has given us the belt of truth to combat all his lies, the breastplate of righteousness to keep us rightly related with God and with others, the marching boots so that we are always ready to spread the good news of God's peace everywhere we go, the shield of faith to extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The salvation helmet to know that our past, our present, and our future are secure in Christ. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, which can combat all the lies of the evil one. Oh, brothers and sisters, our God is stronger. Our God will win. He has already defeated Satan, and one day the war will be over. Until then, we stand firm. And we advance the cause of Christ under our watch and in the post the Lord has assigned to us. So we stand strong in the armor of God. So what we're going to do now is I'm going to give you a little practice. I'm doing some sword wielding. All right, we're going to, we're going to cut down some lies of the enemy right now, all right? I'm going to give you some practice. Uh, now, I got this from Greg Boyd, so I'm going to give credit to him. But this is an awesome thing that helps us cut down the lies of the enemy with the word of God. So you're going to have some responses on the screen, and I want you to say this boldly and strongly and with all the truth and faith that you have in you. Let's say this together and cut down some of these lies. All right, so you, got, you guys as part of the bold, let's do this.
When the deceiver says, God doesn't care about us, we say, in Christ we are God's beloved children and dear friends. Lie cut down. When the deceiver says, God has abandoned us, we say, Jesus will never leave us or forsake us, and nothing in heaven or on earth or in hell can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Amen. When the deceiver says, we are guilty and condemned, we say, it is written, in Christ we are holy and blameless and freed from all condemnation. Hallelujah. Amen. When the deceiver says, we are stupid idiots, we say, it is written, we have been given the mind of Christ and we are bathed with wisdom and understanding. Hallelujah. When the deceiver says, we are poor and weak, we say, it is written, in Christ we are blessed with every spiritual blessing and we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We are not poor, we are not weak. When the deceiver tries to make us fearful and anxious, what do we say? It is written, we are filled with God's own fearless spirit and filled with God's own joy and peace. Hallelujah. When the deceiver says that we are losers who will never overcome our failings, we say, it is written, in Christ we are more than a conqueror in all things and we are destined to be transformed formed into Christ's own likeness. Amen. When the deceiver reminds us of our shameful past, we say, it is written, everything you had against us has been nailed to the cross. When the deceiver says our shortcomings make us unlovable, we say, it is written, we are the beloved bride of Christ and we ravish the heart of God and makes him sing and clap his hands in delight. And one more. When the deceiver says our future is looking very bleak, we say, it is written, in Christ we have an eternal inheritance of unimaginable glory. Hallelujah. Cut down those lies of the enemy. Don't let those lies trap you. Cut them down with the word of God. Let the Holy Spirit empower you. Let Satan not trap you. Stand firm in God's armor with the truth of his word. Let's pray.